This morning's reading is from Jeremiah 2, starting verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, as you're turning there, if you'd like to turn there in your own Bibles, you can also follow along on the screen. I, I will say that this, uh, this is a bit of a longer reading than we, <laughs> we usually do. And, and I'll also say that it does contain some difficult imagery, but this is something that we'll walk through together. So please join me in hearing from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel, this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where's the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you in to a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where's the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are no gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. <clears throat> my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? Lions have roared, they have growled at him. They have laid waste his land. His towns are burned and deserted. Also the men of Memphis and Tophanes have cracked your skull. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now why go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? Why go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Long ago, you broke off your yoke and tore your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. How can you say, I'm not defiled? I've not run after the Baals. See how you behaved in the valley. Consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing in the wind in her craving. In her heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time, they will find her. 
Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods and must go after them. As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. They, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, they say to wood, you are my father. And to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if, you can sa- if they can save you when you are in trouble. For you, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. Why do you bring charges against me? You have all rebelled against me, declares the Lord. In vain I punished your people. They did not respond to correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a ravenous lion. You of this generation consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say, we are free to roam, we will come to you no more? Does a young woman forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me, days without number. How skilled you are at pursuing love. Even the worst of women can learn from your ways. On your clothes is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor, though you did not catch them breaking in. Yet in spite of all of this, you say, I'm innocent. He's not angry with me. But I will pass judgment on you because you say I've not sinned. Why do you go about so much changing your ways? You will be disappointed by Egypt as you were by Assyria. You will also leave that place with your hands on your head. For the Lord has rejected those you trust. You will not be helped by them. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. How would you now return to me, declares the Lord. Look up to the barren heights and see, is there not a place where you have not been ravished? By the roadside you sat waiting for lovers, sat like a nomad in the desert. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld and no spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. Have you not just called to me? My father, my friend from my youth, will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much. My brother Ethan, for that uh, long but beautiful reading of God's word. And thank you, Becky and the team, for leading us in time of worship. Good morning, friends. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Abby, and I have the privilege of being a part of the leadership team here. And uh, I play the role of one of the pastors My other colleague is with the kids downstairs. And if you're joining us for the first time, or perhaps you've been away as a church, we are going through a series with the title, Ancient Path, a call to go back to the ancient path from these first six chapters of Jeremiah. And today, as you can see on the screen, is a path of realization to begin with. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Written, heard, 
as we've been reading or listening it to being read. And now the time to hear it being proclaimed. Would you help me to communicate faithfully what you have entrusted in me to your people by your spirit? And would you open our heart all to welcome your message and find a life, encouragement, peace, joy, and all that which you entail for us to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is a fact that rarely do we see ourselves as we are? Rarely we see ourselves as we really are. But thankfully, the Bible, God's word, presents us with a, a realistic view of ourselves. There is a little story in the Bible. A group of people who thought of themselves as smart or savvy farmers who were making the best of their agricultural prospect or devoted husband securing their well-being of uh, their vulnerable wives at that time. Or they saw themselves as uh, protective fathers desiring the best for their dependent children. Or alert opportunists grasping a chance that might never return again. But they did not for a moment consider that in God's eyes there were nothing other than a mob of sinners or the word used there as a brood of sinners. That must have come to them as a shock. You can read this story in the book of Numbers and particularly chapter 32, verse 14. They thought one thing about themselves, but in God's eyes, they were really what God saw them at that time. At this morning, as we turn to this long passage that has been read to us, I pray that the Lord help us to see ourselves as we really are and realize the height of our foolishness, our terrible reality, how far we as individuals, but also as a church, to begin with, if not to expand it to the nation, how far we have fallen. And then go to God and cry out to the Lord for grace and mercy. Now perhaps this is not what you expect to hear on a Sunday morning. But this is the truth. The Lord's message to his people through Jeremiah, and it's good to emphasize that this message was addressed to God's people, 
And so don't think for a moment that this is for the people out there. It is for us. And this chapter has a lot of uh, themes that we'll be looking at uh, over the next uh, three or four weeks. But this uh, chapter I've just read contains a series of questions intended to awaken their conscience so to help them see the appalling state of a condition they were in. It's one thing for us to ask God a question, but it's another to hear the questions that God asks to us so that we can realize what is going on. And just to mention but one question, this is it in verse 14, God is asking them, is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then he has become a plunder? In other words, he is asking them to think that they who were designed for dominion, for freedom, for honor, not for servitude. How come that now in Jeremiah's time they have become a slave? They that once upon a time were under the special protection of God. You read that in verse 2. And yes, anyone, or verse 3, anyone who touched them touched God's special possession and would suffer their consequences and thinking we wish we would not have touched these people. But now, in Jeremiah's time, they had fallen prey to lions, beaten, bruised, humiliated, humbled, and had been uh, drawn into compromising and dangerous alliances. They have not only lost their liberty, but uh, they have also lost, as verse 19 tells us, their sense of awe or reverence for the Lord. What a climb down. We have just sung many truths. I am no longer a slave. But is that true in your own heart? Israel were born for dominion, for freedom. And this is us to God's people, born for dominion, for freedom, dominion over principalities and king, a, a, a kingdom of darkness and all the others. But all of a sudden, sometime, we find ourselves crushed, beaten, bruised, humiliated. What caused such a fall for the Israelite? Well, when you read this passage, it's a combination of uh, ingratitude, amnesia, or for forgetfulness, but also folly from their part. In other words, or in a brief, what caused that fall is none other than sin. Sin. Now, sin, in verse 4, all of them have sinned. So I hope you have your Bible open because I'll be walking with you through this. All of them sinned, as you can see there in verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all your clans, all you clans of the house of Israel, all are included here. But the trouble with uh, humanity even today, is that uh, it does not see sin as a deadly thing. 
that it is. To many people, and even for us here, to some, sin is just a game and a source of fleeting worldly pleasure. But my friend, sin is deadly, damnable, that is so hated by God and so harmful to mankind. God tells that all those that sin will suffer for their sin in this life and the next. Unless something changes. And then God goes on through Jeremiah to describe the nature of sin. Look at verse 18. There are a few words there. He says, consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is. In other words, he's telling them, a sin is, uh, its nature is evil. Evil. Because evil is that what is opposed to good, to right, uprightness, purity, holiness. In fact, in verse 2, these people once upon a time were holy. Look at verse 2. They were holy. Verse 3, sorry. Israel was holy to the Lord. And now it is evil. There is an opposite there. They have left the good. They have left what is uprightness. In other words, to disengage in holiness is a sin. But also to actively promote that what is unholy and ungodly is also sin. Bitter. In other words, he's saying the nature of sin, sin is enmity towards God. It's something that is hated by God. And because it is hated by God, people also, what they do, normally hate God. But it's also wickedness. Now, wickedness, when you dig deep, is uh, being delight in all those things uh, that are ungodly, the things uh, that uh, are uh, opposed to God. Remember last week, we saw that these people uh, find no pleasure in the word of God. And when we look at verse 2, once upon a time, they were seen as the bride that loved God. They had pleasure in the Lord. And that word love is the same word used when God loves us. So because he loved them first, they responded with love of God. They found pleasure. And now they are described as wicked. But also backsliding. They could not stand steady. That means the sin enables someone not to stand steady on his or on her way. So what precisely they did? If this is the nature, it is evil, it's about wickedness, it's about something that is bitter, it's about something that is backsliding. What exactly do they do? But more precisely, from verse 1 all the way to verse 8, we found them that in contrast to their better days, they pursued what was worthless. Look at verse 5. They walked after worthless things. When I previously in verse 2, they walked after God. And we shall come back to that at the last of these paths, the path of a closer walk to the Lord. Once upon a time, they closed the walk, they walked closer with the Lord. And now they have gone after things that are just worthless. 
And this is the main reason, friends, of, for their coming disasters, that they have forsaken the God and worshiped the other gods. And this is constituted wickedness. They went after something of no value, benefit, worth. They went after something that is futile. If they have forgotten that, God hasn't forgotten. As Spurgeon say, God recollected those zealous time, those happy seasons, those enthusiastic hours. And if we have become, we have come to Abe, to an Abe, if we are now cold and almost dead and have forgotten the better days, God has not forgotten them. Not only they pursued what was worthless, but they wasted what was precious. They wasted God's gracious act in their lives. Verse 6 and verse 7, what a list. God performed many gracious acts in their lives. And they wasted them. And that list, when you look at it, it should have stirred their gratitude to the Lord. Just like today, if we were to count our blessing, we will be stirred in our heart to be grateful to the Lord. For them, God did amazing things, particularly in taking them out of Egypt. He redeemed them. He guided them in the wilderness. He provided for all their, 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 their needs. He gifted them with a land, blessed them with abundance and fruitfulness. Sadly, they didn't even ask where all it came from. What are some of the precious, gracious, act of God and the gift you have received, I have received, that I'm now wasting. When we had the week of prayer, forgive me, Jenny, to pronounce your name. You're my friend, so fine. She prayed about all the Bibles that are just lying empties in our pews and in the, in, the, in the town and in the nation, in the hotels. And it struck me. Because uh, to just pick this one example of Bibles, we do not know here in the West how fortunate we have to have a Bible. In comparison to where I come from, but what have we done with this? That's why we were debating whether we could read the long passage. I said to my brother Ethan, read the whole thing. Because some of us, it is only on Sunday that we read this. And after today, we forget it. What have we done it? In, in terms of to be salt and light, and the advancement of God's mission. But look, something else. They were failed by the leadership. In verse 8, those who were entrusted with guiding them, all the four categories of leaders, you have them, the priest, and the expert of uh, the, 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 the law, and the rulers, and the prophet, all of them, these are the people that are supposed to guide the people. But they did not do their duty. I was reading Malachi chapter 2 about the duty of the priest, reminding myself the duty of a pastor. That's a instruction should come out of this mouth that God gave me and uh, been given the responsibility to proclaim so that the people can turn away from their sins. But uh, these uh, leaders uh, did not uh, do their job. In fact, they never asked where were the Lord. 
They've never sought the presence of the Lord. In verse 26, they are linking to like a thief, a thief that is caught up and is in shame. It saddened me. I won't name the church, but there's no one church that uh, called a minister or a pastor, even though that pastor and a minister publicly believe and declare that he doesn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they called him because he's a nice person. This is some farm familiar, not only in the church, but in the nation, about uh, charisma. I remember when I was in Kenya, my professor in the leadership course say to all of us, uh, Remember in your life, charisma will take you quickly up there. But what will keep you there is the character. And the character is down in our belief. They pursued worthless things. They wasted God's precious gift, they were felled by leadership. And so what next? They have to stand in the dark. Sinners now are brought before the Supreme Court. Verse 9 all the way to verse 13. The Lord say, I'm going to bring charge against you. It's interesting that this court is the supreme court, is the Lord himself. In other words, in the dark, as they are standing, wherever they look, in every corner, is the eyes of the Lord that they see. He's the judge, he's the prosecutor. It's like what says in Psalm 139, verse 5, the Lord hemmed them in behind and before and so the first charge to them, verse 10 to 12, they have uh, become disloyal, and that's disloyal to, disloyalty to God was unparalleled. It was not heard of. They swapped God for something that was worthless. Look at what he said. They exchanged their glory to something that is not worth that verse 11. And I was reflecting on this, I thought, what could be the idols in our time? That sometimes we swap. In other words, the thought here, they forgot the giver of the gift to just spend all the time in what is worthless. And sometimes for us, once maybe the house you have or you live in, you saw, at, you saw that as a precious gift from the Lord. But over time, the thought of making that house better for you, for now, and I'm not saying that you should not make this house better, but consume so much of your thought and the passion in the comparison to what you can spend for the Lord. That relationship which you saw as a blessing, it just turns out to be that, uh, you see, this become like my identity. That knowledge which God gave you in order that you can glorify him has become your defining personality. And looking after, looking on others as they taught me up north, you look doon on them. Now, if you don't know look doon, what it means, you look down on other people. Second charge, verse 13, is very disturbing. In fact, it's a double crime there in verse 13. They forsake, again, the thought, they forsake the Lord, and verse 32, 
not only they forsake them once, but look at verse 32. Days without numbers. In other words, day after day, day after day, they did not even think about God. And this God is the living, is the source of the spring of the living water and have gone to the things that do not satisfy. As they searched for security, life, and fulfillment to broken systems. This old hymn was brought to my attention, and it has this uh, um, stance there. I've tried the broken systems, Lord, but ha, the waters fell. Hey, even as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed, as I cried. Think about the things you have tried to quench your thirst. No wonder Jesus grieved like a Jeremiah at the heartbreaking, heartbreaking struggle of the people of his time around him and to the point that he said, come, I invite you, come and I'll give you rest. Because he is there. One who offers water of life, bread of life, the sole sufficient source of life and fulfillment. Charge brought it to them. How did they react? And before we go to the reaction, what is the charge God bringing against you, against me, against us as a church? How did they react? Verse 20 all the way to verse 37. As you would expect what we see even in our society these days, they reacted in self-defiance. They denied and became confused. Walk with me quickly. Some of the words which they said themselves, verse 23, they claimed they have done nothing wrong by going after other gods. I am not defied, they say. I have not run after the bells, these other gods. Verse 25, confusingly, they admit what they have just claimed. Ha, it is no use. I love foreigner gods. I must go after them. Verse 27, now when they are in trouble, come and save us. Verse 31, they treat God just like a prodigal son treated his father. And verse 35, nails it, they pleaded not guilty. I am innocent. I heard these words this week on TV. I'm innocent, I'm innocent. I've done nothing evil. In other words, I have not erred away from the path of right. You see, people, all of us, sometimes hate the thought of admitting that we are sick with sin, that we defile even the idea of uh, having a great need of someone who can help us. But my friend, the person who knows that he has not sinned, has no hope. The one who knows that he has sinned has hope. Why the plea did not guilty, the Lord ruthlessly exposes what the sin actually looked like. In verse 22, he say, huh, you are under heavy guilty of sin. And your sin is like a stain that could not be washed away by soap or water. Verse 26, he said, your sin will bring shame and disgrace. Some of us who have tested a little bit of, uh, by God's grace, the Lord's holiness, have a degree and some perhaps more, others less, 
of the shame of sin. When you have sinned, you feel, oh my goodness, I've done it. And we envision the day when we shall stand before the Lord and give our account to everything we have done. But God did not only expose what the sin looked like. He outlined the inevitable, inevitable, I'm trying to pronounce this word, inevitable, thank you. Say it loudly so that I can hear, please. Inevitable. Inevitable consequences of sin. I always learn here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Philippa. Look at verse 35. He says, while you are pleading not guilty, while you are denying, remember, you are here at the Supreme Court. There is no appeal. I have decided I will pass judgment on you because you have said I have not sinned. Verse 35b. Friends, sin is very attractive, but always carries its own punishment. It's very attractive. And the punishment can be sometimes physical, but always spiritual. And look at verse 19 again in that verse. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. And you consider and know and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake your God and have no fear. The consequences are evident. And as we said earlier in verse 14, we looked at they were enslaved. They have lost their liberty. They were sold in verse uh, 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 verse, uh, verse 14 all the way to verse uh, 19. They were sold to diverse lust and passions, as uh, Isaiah put it. Now bear with me. I know this is a long one. I'm going to close very soon. Verse 521, uh, chapter 5 verse 21 we'll look at. Other consequences. They became a blind, fool, senseless people. Wow. Even those who were clever. That chapter 5, verse 21. Verse, chapter 5, verse 25, which we shall look later on. They were deprived of good. Just like chapter 3, you know, when we heard that he withheld the showers. Oh, in Scotland, we'll say, hallelujah, we don't need rain. But these are showers of blessings. Elsewhere in the scripture, friends, the sin, the consequences of sin we hear from Isaiah, there is no peace for the wicked. We hear from Moses as he speaks to God's people, or God speaks to his people through Moses in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Your sin will find you out. No matter how long it takes. If it's not dealt now, you will find you out in the presence of the Lord. Now what about the New Testament? The wage of sin is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Friend, sin never makes you happy. It will never lead to all it promises. In my life, I've never found a sweet sin. Even those I've committed which I thought they were sweet, they turned out to be just like that sweet I used to eat. It's sweet to begin with, and then every and a single moment, sour. And it's the sour that it lasts, not the sweet. Any hope? Is there any hope? That's where I want to close. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, 
basically tells us that God is more willing to pardon than to punish. Mercy and grace multiply more in him than sin in us. We shall hear that next Sunday, God willing, because in chapter 3, verse 13, God was willing to forgive and restore these people on one condition, only if they acknowledge and repent of their guilt. Chapter 3, verse 13. But notice this imagery here of divorce and remarriage and everything, how in chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, how justly the Lord would have abandoned them. But there is a clue there he's saying where he's asking two questions in verse 1. Should he return to her again? Another question, would you now return to me? In other words, the Lord was willing to say, despite what you have done, how much you have gone to these other lovers, you have betrayed me, I'm ready to love you again. Do you know, my friend, that the Lord is ready to love you again and again? No matter how far you have gone. No matter how far you have fallen. No matter how deep is the pit. No matter how ugly is the sin. This is good news. Good news, my friends. As I put it there, the gospel is that uh, God comes to humanity not only in judgment, but also in grace. He has not left anyone without hope. He has sent his only son into the world to die upon the cross and rise from dead so that the sin be vanquished forever. That what you find there in those last chapter, last verses of chapter five, chapter three, we read those first five, five verses, is, is, is really the grace of God that can bring us back to himself. And all those who trust Jesus, that's what the Lord does. God was again ready to love his people again. But we, living now in this time, we see that that love and that justice and that punishment was on Jesus. And when Jesus was introduced publicly by John the Baptist, he said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And my friend, it is only by his blood which he shared on the cross that you can be forgiven, that I can be forgiven. That's a, your sin, your guilty. Your sin can be taken away. Your guilty be removed, cleansed from your filthiness, make you whiter than a snow clothe you with his righteousness and make you stand before him faultless. No fear in death. And no guilt in this life. Have you been to Jesus? And even when you are a Christian, if you say the Bible tells us that uh, if we say we have not sinned, then we are liars. And the truth is not with us. But here's the picture where I close. A picture, old picture. I like old things. You know that. Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson is someone who became a pastor. But when he was young, because he was left the orphans, life was difficult in that time. There was no benefit to everything. He joined a band of a crowd, a, 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 crowd of, a, a, a crowd of gangs. 
And they committed crime and petty things. And one day, he and his friends at the age of 16 decided to go and listen to the famous preacher, evangelist George Whitefield. They went there not to listen, but they went there to disrupt him, disturb him, and mock him. But when he arrived there, he was speechless. Silence. Why? Because of the first words that came from the mouth of that preacher, he said to them, using the passage in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, you brood of vipers. Who has warned you to run away from the wrath to come? Now, he never thought in his life that he was one of the vipers. Vipers, is that the way? Vipers? He never thought. And those words haunted him for three years. And friend, I pray, if you find even this message very hard, you say, I don't like hearing a sin. I pray that whatever you heard haunt you this week, next week, months, years to come, until you surrender to the Lord. It haunted him for three years. And he was disturbed how to escape from the wrath to come. And they realized that the preacher said, just go to Jesus. He came to the Lord after three years. And his life changed. He became a pastor himself after years. Perhaps the people have forgotten his uh, sermons like mine will be forgotten after I've gone. But one thing they remembered him. He wrote a beautiful song, Come of Fountain of Every Blessing. In this hymn, he tells of the benefit of knowing Jesus as the life-giving rather than the broken systems. Would you come, my friend, to have a, a deep drink from the life that Jesus offers you? And I tell you, you will be satisfied. Your thirst will be quenched. And you will find him a joy giver, a peace giver, a hope giver. All is in him. You will be disturbing your spirit to pray for your unbelieving children, unbelieving friends, unbelieving people you meet. Come.